Hey everybody, this is West Seattle Christian Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, the Exodus, chapter 4 in your storybooks. And to do that, we're going to start out talking about something called Teflon. Teflon are the little uh, boxes that Orthodox Jewish men uh, wear on their foreheads or strap to their uh, left bicep close to their heart. Uh, they do this because in the book of Deuteronomy, we are told a couple of times that God wants us to take his commands, his mitzvot, and he wants uh, us to write them on the doorposts of our homes. He wants us to bind them to our foreheads, and he wants us to write them on our hearts. Uh, so this is what mitzvot are. If you were to go into an Orthodox Jewish person's house, you would see on all the doorposts what are called mezuzahs. Uh, which is a little box or cylinder. Uh, my wife Beth and I have one of these that a friend of ours gave us uh, when he came back from a trip of from from a trip to Israel uh, many years ago. And inside the mezuzah, you'll find a, a little piece of parchment with some of God's commands written on it. Uh, so that takes care of the part of that command where you have to put God's commands on the doorpost. But God also said to put His commands on your forehead and on your heart. So that's this. That's the Teflon. Inside uh, the Teflon are these parchments or papers with three commands. And the first one of them is the mitzvot of the Shema, taken from Deuteronomy 6.4. It's the single line from the Shema, the verse that reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one, however you want to read that. Uh, and the second command is taken from the very next verse in Deuteronomy 6.5. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. But the third command comes from Exodus 13, 13, and it says this, Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you don't redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now, why in the world does the broken neck donkey commandment make it into that little black box, and what does this even have to do with Exodus and the story of God saving Israel uh, with Moses uh, or the Passover? Well, if you, uh, if you look at Exodus 13, 14, it says a little bit more. It says, In days to come, when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. In other words, someday your kids will ask you, what's up with the little black boxes? And, can, and you could say uh, it has something to do with the Exodus. So we're going to come back to Exodus 13, 13 in a few minutes. Uh, if you go back and read Exodus 1 through 11, this is the part of the story that's pretty straightforward. If you're following along in your storybooks, then you read most of this this past week. Uh, we're introduced to Moses and the story of his birth. We read about him fleeing to Midian and then later encountering God in this burning bush. And he says to Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in Israel, and I want you to go down and rescue them from Egypt. So Moses goes down, he announces their deliverance, and then we start walking through the plagues. And this is going to be the way God is going to rescue his people. And we go through all the plagues, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, uh, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. And then we come to the last one, the plague of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And here we get into a lot of detail and God starts to explain how this is going to work. I'm going to take all the firstborn sons of Egypt, but for Israel, I want you to take the blood of the lamb and wipe it all over your door. This will be your salvation that night. This is how... I'll pass over your house. And it's like everything is building to this gigantic, climactic, kind of cinematic crescendo moment 
And then all of a sudden we get to Exodus chapter 12. And this chapter is like, hey, we interrupt this program with a broadcast from the emergency broadcast system. Here's a list of all the rules of how to eat the Passover meal. So if you're Jewish, this is where you sit up and take notice because everyone is expecting this story to just continue and show us the result of the plague of the firstborn. But instead it stops and you have this little aside and we get this very specific and particular set of rules for how to eat a meal. So later on, when rabbis looked at this, they knew something was up with chapter 12. They scoured the chapter looking for clues. They're like, this is placed here by the author on purpose for a special reason. And what they found were a few laws that they thought just didn't make any sense at all. The first one is this phrase from Exodus 12, 9, where it says, don't eat the meat raw or boiled in water. So you can't make stew out of it. In the Hebrew, it says, put it in a pot without water, which is weird. Secondly, it says you have to eat the meal as a group, which at first doesn't seem, that doesn't really seem like a big deal until you realize that the chapter goes to great lengths to tell you that you cannot eat this meal individually by yourself. Like, you have to have a lamb, a whole lamb, and it says you're not allowed to have leftovers. So a lamb is a pretty big meal. So what if you're a family of three or four? Can you eat the whole lamb? Probably not. So you got to go in on the lamb together with another family or families, and you got to eat it together. So you're not allowed to eat the Passover by yourself. And the third thing is the language where, where it says, draw out a lamb. Now that's weird, the rabbis noticed, because there's a lot of other ways to say that phrase that are more common, like just go pick out a lamb, go select a lamb. But specifically, it says, draw out a lamb in verses four and five. Your version may say uh, take or choose together, but in Hebrew it says draw out. And then there's this business of the hyssop dipped in blood. And it's at this point that the rabbis went, oh, you know what? We've heard all of this before. In fact, we've heard these same rules in this exact same Exodus story, and we've heard them in the exact same order. All these rules actually come from the story of Joseph when he got sold to the slave traders, which is interesting because... The Hebrews wouldn't be in Egypt in the first place if Joseph and his family hadn't ended up there in the first place. So the first weird thing, cooking meat in a pot without water, they identify this back in Genesis 37, 23 and 24, when Joseph's brothers, they throw him in an empty cistern. It's like a pot without water. It's a well without water, like a pot without water. And then the very next verse, Genesis 37, 25, Joseph's brothers sit down and eat a meal together. So that matches the Passover instructions as well. And then there's this phrase for draw out. It's only used four times in the whole Torah, only four times in the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first time is in the story of Joseph when they draw him out of the cistern to sell him into slavery. And the second time is right here in the rules for eating the Passover. So drawing Joseph out of the cistern is the same phrase used in Exodus 12 for drawing the lamb out of the flock. And then if we go back to the story of Joseph in Genesis 37, we see in verse 31 that his brothers dip his robe in what? Blood. And we see this referenced in Exodus 12 with the dipping of hyssop in blood. So Jacob's connected to Joseph. Joseph's connected to the Passover. So the rabbis then conclude that the author has deliberately linked the Passover story to the story of Joseph. Now, last week, we said that Joseph's story was connected to Jacob's story, his dad's story. So I'll show you this, this slide that we had from last week. And now we're saying 
here that the Exodus story, particularly this part about the Passover, is connected back to Joseph's story. Joseph's story is a retelling of Jacob's story. Jacob and Joseph are both hated by their brothers. They are both forced out of their home. They are both of them, after they're forced out of their homes, they go to work in the house of a foreigner. And after they both get done working in the house of the foreigner, they are then falsely accused. Jacob is falsely accused of stealing Laban's idols. Joseph is falsely accused of uh, sleeping with Potiphar's wife. Both stories have appearances of the number seven in them. So there's all these parallels between the stories. So there is a thread woven through these narratives that's trying that's trying to tie things all together. Passover and the Exodus are connected to Joseph. Joseph is connected to Jacob. So the rabbis, they see this and they ask, what's the thread? What's the idea between all these stories that's connecting and driving the entire narrative forward? And it has to do with what we learned last week. It has to do with the Behor, the firstborn son motif. Uh, both Jacob and Joseph wanted to be the Behor, the firstborn, but are they? No. Jacob buys and steals the Behor uh, from his brother and his dad. And then Jacob tries to make Joseph the Behor, even though he's not. And, and that's what's happening when Jacob gives Joseph this special coat that we talked about last week. And, you know, really I have to break it to you, but it really wasn't many colored. In Hebrew, it just says the second one was a long uh, sleeved tunic. Uh, but it's the fact that it's a second coat that Jacob places on Joseph. It's a double portion. This is Jacob making a statement to the rest of the sons. He's saying, he, he doesn't just say Joseph is the Behor. He just kind of drops the second coat on Joseph and all the other brothers see it and they get it and they don't like it. But is, the, is he the Behor? No. So the idea that pulls these two stories together is that we have two guys who want to be the Behor and they're not. And now the rabbis start to see a common thread. Jacob's story is about the Behor. Joseph's story is about the Behor, the firstborn. And then we get this story of rescue and redemption through these plagues. And then right at the end, it's interrupted with these Passover, these rules for eating. And the interruption comes at the plague of the what? The plague of the firstborn, the plague of the Behor. This is the common thread. All throughout this story, God says, I'm going to rescue Israel because Israel is my firstborn son, my Behor. Now, a generation after Jesus was on the scene in the New Testament, there was a very popular Jewish rabbi named Akiva. Akiva is important because he made some new observations about this Passover story and his teachings about it ended up catching on. There's a part in these meal instructions in Exodus 12 that says to cook the lamb with its entrails in it, which is gross, I know. But Akiva says... That's actually translated incorrectly. He says that uh, what this phrase really means is that when you cook the lamb, uh, you should tie its head down between its legs. That's what the phrase really means. And the point is that this essentially makes the lamb look like it's in the what? In the fetal position. And then Akiva said that the common understanding of how the blood of the lamb is wiped on the doorpost and above the threshold in Exodus 12:7 is also incorrect. He says that the common understanding of the word threshold meant the bottom of the doorway as well. And so Kiva said that what is really meant here is that the blood was wiped all the way around the door of the house. And with that understanding, you now get a picture of the Israelites leaving Egypt in a hurry and they're rushing out of their houses through a bloody doorway. 
Now, as I, as I start talking about the Passover and eating the lamb cooked in a fetal position and leaving in a hurry through a bloody doorway, what's the image you get? Maybe you're connecting the dots. It's a picture of giving birth. Maybe you haven't heard this before, but it makes sense why Jews often refer to the Red Sea that the, that the Jewish people went through as a birth canal. By the way, as an object lesson today, I recommend you walk. Uh, if, you, if you're here in West Seattle, you can, you can walk through our kids' wing and stroll. You can actually walk through the Red Sea. It's been all done up that way down in Kid City. Uh, but what's going on here is God has come to Israel and is inviting them to become his behor, his firstborn. And that's significant because the behor gets a double portion. And when we say that, what we think about is the inheritance, a double inheritance. Behors get a double portion of the inheritance, but you get the inheritance for a reason. You don't just get the double portion of blessing to be blessed. The behor gets twice the inheritance because they get twice the responsibility. And what are these responsibilities? Well, here they are. In that culture, the oldest sibling was basically trained to be a caregiver to the younger siblings. In fact, they acted like a pseudo parent at times. And this happens a lot of time, a lot of the time in our world today, but more often it's out of necessity than want. Think about during the beginning of the pandemic and school went online and parents still had to go to work in many cases and a lot of parenting responsibilities for good or for ill fell upon older brothers and sisters in the family. But the role of the firstborn, the behor, is that sometimes the oldest sibling or maybe the one who acts most responsible amongst the siblings helps get through to the younger siblings or siblings. It's actually a great help sometimes. Sometimes parents can't get through to their kids no matter what. No matter what we do, right? But in some cases, their older brother or sister can. So a good behor will do this. will understand that they're given more freedom and more privileges, but also more responsibility. In this Passover meal, there's such attention to detail here because the author wants the common thread of these narratives to shine through. God is saying to Israel, I'm inviting you to become the behor, the firstborn. And you'll get a double portion of blessing, but I'm also asking you, that you'll take on the double portion of responsibility because you'll have this role in the world to take daddy's values and put them on display. And this takes us back full circle to the Teflon, the little black box the Jews carry the Torah around in their foreheads or the mezuzah cylinders that they put on the door frames. They put them there as a physical reminder of who they are called to be, the Behor, the firstborn of God. And that's why that obscure law in Exodus 13, 13 about the donkey and the firstborn is included. The last part of that command there is to redeem your firstborn son. That's the important part, to redeem them. It's about the redemption, the saving of the firstborn son. Just like Jacob was saved and redeemed. Just like Joseph was saved and redeemed. Just like the nation of Israel was saved and redeemed in this week's story. The little black boxes and the door cylinders, the Teflon and the mezuzah filled with God's commands, his mitzvot, his commands, are a reminder of our calling and our privilege and our responsibility in the world. If we have decided to partner with God in his mission to redeem everything and everyone to be God's before, his firstborn. And I'd encourage you to reread the gospels and the stories about Jesus as a rabbi trying to reteach his people about this privilege and responsibility that they have to join God in restoring his kingdom. But remember Rabbi Akiva, well, he was based out of Capernaum, the same basic area Jesus had his ministry. 
in John 3, we run across this interesting little passage where Jesus says some stuff to this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And in John 3, 3, Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And, and Nicodemus, Nico, he's like, what in the world are you talking about? You can't enter your mother's womb again. And in verse 5, Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And Christians have debated what this means for like centuries. Uh, but any Orthodox Jew will tell you the answer to this question with authority. They'll tell you there are three places where water and Spirit appear in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The first is at creation, where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The second is when the wind of God blows over the waters to make the flood recede. And the third is when the wind of God blows over the waters of the Red Sea in the Exodus story that we cover today. And the waters are parted and God's behor, his firstborn son, is redeemed for a purpose. So Jesus, he looks straight back at Nicodemus and says, you want to enter the kingdom of God? Well, then God's looking for behors. He's been doing it for a long time. He's been looking for those who act like firstborns, for those who get all the privileges and all of the responsibilities. If you're not willing to be born again as God's before, if you're not willing to take on the mantle of spreading God's values and being part of God's project, putting the world back together, well, then you can't enter the kingdom of God because that's how you do it. You partner with him. And that's what redemption means. And that's how redemption happens. God is still looking for the whores. And it's true right now for you and for me as well. This new Jesus reality has blown open the doors of the kingdom. The curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And now God is looking for anybody, anybody who's interested in being his behor in the world, because God is looking for somebody who will take his values and spread them to the rest of his children through the way that you live. The behor is the type of person who takes love and grace and compassion and generosity and forgiveness and we try to tell the rest of God's kids in this world what God is really like by living out those values and putting them on display I'm worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian online stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit my friends